This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Which would you prefer, eternal life or unlimited wealth? How about both? For that, you need the Philosopher's Stone, a substance that can turn base metals into gold and grant you eternal life. The Book of Aquarius contains the instructions for the Philosopher's Stone. Now, although the process can take years, the ingredients are simple. You have them in your home right now. But the Book of Aquarius is derived from many older texts, including one very mysterious artifact, the Emerald Tablet, which contains not only the recipe for immortality, but the secret to everything in the universe. This knowledge has been around for centuries, but has been suppressed until now. Medieval alchemists received this knowledge from the Arabs a thousand years ago. The Arabs got it from the Egyptians 2,000 years before that. But the Egyptians received this knowledge 36,000 years ago from the most advanced culture on Earth. The Emerald Tablet comes from Atlantis. For hundreds of years, the recipe for the Philosopher's Stone was the most sought-after secret of alchemy. According to legend, this substance could turn ordinary metals like lead and iron into gold. The Philosopher's Stone was also called the Elixir of Life because it could restore youth and even grant immortality. For centuries, alchemists attempted to create the stone, breaking down, distilling, and combining different materials in pursuit of this goal. This actually led to the creation of chemistry. Now, this might sound like hocus pocus, but some of the most brilliant minds in history believed in the Philosopher's Stone and dedicated a large portion of their lives in pursuit of it. Some became so infatuated that it drove them to the brink of insanity. Isaac Newton is remembered for his contributions to mathematics, astronomy, and physics, but he was also interested in alchemy. Newton spent the last 30 years of his life obsessed with the Philosopher's Stone. He even made his own translations of the Emerald Tablet, which are still studied today. Holy Roman Emperor Rudolf II brought the best alchemists in Europe to court. Men like John Dee and Edward Kelly were given a private lab and an unlimited budget. At the beginning of the Renaissance, there was an alchemist who, as the legend goes, actually discovered the Philosopher's Stone. And his name was Nicholas Flamel. Now he, he gave it to Dumbledore. What? Uh, well, he actually puts it in Gringotts' vault, and then Hagrid fetched it for him. Now, I don't think that's... But Voldemort wants it, because he's stuck in the back of Quirrell's head, right? Then Hermione gets him past the Devil's Snare, and then Ron plays wizard chess. Uh, by the way, he used the Nimza Witch defense as an opening gambit. You don't see that much with wizard chess. Now, if you believe in the legend, or Harry Potter, Nicholas Flamel didn't die in 1418. He succeeded in creating the Philosopher's Stone. And he and his wife, Perinelle, are still alive and out there somewhere. Whoa, 600 years is a long time to be married. I guess it is. A long time. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so very long. A long time. Ever since man realized that his life was finite, 
The human race has been fascinated with the idea of extending their lifespan, or even achieving immortality. The legend of the Fountain of Youth has been around for hundreds of years, and now we have cryonics, which is freezing a body at the moment of death in the hope of reviving them at some point in the future. Or mind uploading, which will transfer a person's consciousness to a computer, and then at some point transfer that consciousness back into a human or part human, part robot body. But it all started with the Emerald Tablet, Written by the Egyptian god Jehudi, more commonly known as Thoth, Thoth was one of the most important gods of ancient Egypt. He was worshipped before the age of the pharaohs, so before 5000 BC. Thoth was the god of magic, wisdom, and the moon. He was usually depicted as a man with the head of an ibis. Ibis? Ibis. What I say? Thoth created writing and hieroglyphics. He wrote the Egyptian Book of the Dead. The Egyptians claimed he invented science, religion, philosophy, and, of course, alchemy. Greeks call him the inventor of astronomy, mathematics, civilized government, and the alphabet. Kind of an overachiever, this Egyptian, eh? Well, that's what's interesting. Toth wasn't actually a god. He wasn't even Egyptian. He arrived in Egypt many thousands of years ago, and he brought with him knowledge and wisdom from his own country. Which is? Toth is from Atlantis. Yahtzee! Plato described Atlantis as being divided into ten kingdoms, each with its own government, its own rulers, and its own purpose. One of these kingdoms was the island of Undal, which was the Atlantean center of philosophy and science. Thoth was born 36,000 years ago on Undal in the city of Keora. Keora was a community of scholars, scientists, and priests. Thoth was trained by his father Totme, who was a very important figure in Atlantis. Totme was one of the children of light, who were an advanced race that lived alongside humans. The Children of Light provided the human race with science, language, and eventually technology. Some have said these beings were extraterrestrials, or the Anunnaki, or both. Though the Children of Light weren't gods, they would appear godlike to any normal human. But these are mortal beings. They're born and they die, just like we do. Whoa, 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 whoa. But if he could die, how was he in Atlantis 36,000 years ago and in Egypt 5,000 years ago? I'm getting to it. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. I like this story. I thought you would. Anyway, Toth's father, Totme, was the keeper of the great temple, which means he was a high priest who carried messages to the human race from the children of light. Wise were we with the wisdom of the children of the light who dwell among us. Strong were we with the power drawn from the eternal fire. And of all these, greatest among the children of men was my father, Totme, keeper of the great temple, linked between the children of light who dwelt within the temple and the races of men who inhabited the Ten Islands. The Ten Kingdoms of Atlantis were created by an entity named Horlet, sometimes called the Dweller. And Toth spent many years with the Dweller learning the art of wisdom. Toth excelled in his studies and was finally invited to the halls of Amenti. It's there where Toth is given the key to life, immortality. And he, like the other children of light, can reincarnate every hundred years. Now, as an immortal, Toth is responsible for keeping the ancient knowledge that he's been taught. Then, a great flood destroys Atlantis. How long ago was that? 13,000 years ago. Oh, um, and when was the younger Dryas? 13,000 years ago. Uh-huh. Yet another flood myth takes place during a period of time known as the Younger Dryas. Every culture on Earth has the same flood myth. Anyway, in order to preserve the knowledge and culture of Atlantis, Toth is one of the teachers sent out to establish new colonies around the world. One of these colonies is in South America. Another is in Central America. Toth travels to a land the Atlanteans call Chem, but we know it as Egypt. 
Toth took with him a tablet carved out of green emerald, though some believe it might have been crystal. Others say the tablet was made of orichalcum, a valuable ancient metal that, according to Plato, was mined in Atlantis. On this emerald tablet, Toth wrote the secrets of the universe, including the key to immortality. This knowledge would become the foundation for ancient Egyptian alchemy. Now, for centuries, Toth would reincarnate into different bodies, sharing his wisdom with a select few. Usually, he was born in Egypt, but sometimes his mission would take him to other parts of the world. And that takes us to ancient Greece, where the Emerald Tablet makes its first appearance. The Emerald Tablet, also known as Tabulus Margadina in Latin, is only 24 stanzas of text. But hidden within those few stanzas is the secret to immortality. The tablet is said to have been written by Hermes Tresmegistus, who some say is a combination of the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Toth, or is a reincarnation of Toth himself. Hermes Tresmegistus is the author of a group of texts called the Hermetica, and from these we get Hermeticism, a set of spiritual concepts and practices characterized by a belief in the unity of all things in the universe. Hermeticism has influenced secret societies like the Freemasons, the Rosicrucians, and the Order of the Black Sun. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn is a secret society that emerged in the late 19th century. They used hermetic principles in their ceremonies, which were said to be magic. The Order also drew on other esoteric traditions, including Kabbalah and Tarot. The earliest known mention of the Emerald Tablet comes from an Arabic text dated 1200 years ago. But this text claims to be a translation of a much older work, which is possibly a translation of an even older text. Upon discovery, the Emerald Tablet became one of the most studied documents by Islamic and European alchemists. It also became popular with occultists who often use the motto, as above, so below, which is the second verse of the tablet. But these were all just translations. The original tablet was lost. Then, sometime in the first century AD, the philosopher Apollonius of Tiana was studying in the city's library when he came across a mysterious book. It was bound in green leather and its pages were made of a material that he had never seen before. The book was written in a language that he didn't recognize and its pages were filled with strange symbols and diagrams. Apollonius studied the book and realized that it was a book of alchemy filled with the secrets of the universe and the hidden forces of nature. Determined to uncover the mysteries of the book, Apollonius set out on a quest to find its author. After a long search, he came to a remote temple in the mountains where he met an oracle who told him where to look for answers. Apollonius was given directions to a secret cave underneath the statue of Hermes in Tiana. At the end of a dark, winding passage, Apollonius found the corpse of Hermes Trismegistus sitting on a golden throne. Still clutched in his withered skeletal fingers, Hermes had a dusty book and a tablet carved from a single piece of translucent green stone. Apollonius took the emerald tablet and the book and sealed the cave. He then incorporated these newfound secrets of alchemy into his own work. But then the emerald tablet was lost again. Again, it's lost. How tiny was this thing? Well, it was pretty big, almost four feet long and about three feet wide. All that wisdom and they can't keep track of a giant stone tablet, eh? Everyone who touches it suddenly comes down with a case of the butterfingers. It would seem so. Apollonius wrote that he gave the tablet to the Roman Emperor Hadrian, who buried it under his palace. But some think the tablet was in the Library of Alexandria when it burned, or was taken by the Knights Templar, or it's in the Vatican's secret archives. It's been said to have ended up at just about every mysterious place on Earth. But in 1925, a man named Dr. Maurice Doriel had an idea. The early stories of the Egyptian god Toth 
talk of him building the Great Pyramid of Giza as a way to protect an ancient artifact. So Dr. Doriel went to Egypt and explored the area where he thought the Emerald Tablet might be. Oh, did he find it? Not exactly. Oh. He found all ten. <laughs> the tablets Doriel found were in the possession of a mysterious group called the Great White Brotherhood. They wouldn't allow Doriel to take the tablets, but they did let him translate them. A few years later, in 1939, Dr. Doriel published his translation as a book, The Emerald Tablets of Toth the Atlantean. His translation confirmed that the tablets were indeed written by Toth. Doriel went on to found the Brotherhood of the White Temple, a religion that still exists and has a following. And one of the main themes of the book and of the Brotherhood of the White Temple is the concept of the one thing. The one thing is described as the source of all creation and the ultimate reality behind the physical world. It's said to be an energy that permeates all things and is the essence of all life. The force is what gives a Jedi his powers. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. Uh, we did a Star Wars bit last week. We can't go back to that well so soon. Yeah, it was worth a shot. Well, the book also describes ancient technologies and hidden knowledge. It suggests that ancient civilizations had advanced technologies and knowledge that have been lost over time. For example, the book describes a device called the Firestone, which is said to have the power to generate energy and manipulate matter. The book claims this technology was used by ancient civilizations, including the Atlanteans, but it's being suppressed. But a large part of the book covers alchemy, specifically transforming base metals into gold, curing illness, granting immortality, and achieving enlightenment. But like the original Emerald Tablet, it was all allegory and symbolism, subject to many different interpretations. There are no clear instructions. The tablet doesn't tell us what kind of materials we need to create the Philosopher's Stone. And even if they did, they don't tell us the process. But on March 11, 2011, a mysterious book suddenly appeared online. It was called The Book of Aquarius. And this is what was written on the first page. The age of secrets is over. There's no need for mystical language or metaphor. This book contains no hidden meaning or codes. Everything is stated plainly and directly. So what the hell does this mean? Well, this means that anyone who wanted to create the Philosopher's Stone now has a recipe to follow, just like a cookbook. The Book of Aquarius looked legit. It's 165 pages and references 49 different alchemical texts that span a thousand years. It's a long, difficult process, but anyone with the time and patience could do it. And some people did. And what's most amazing about the recipe for the Philosopher's Stone is that it's only one ingredient. And we all have it in us. Oh, in us? What are you talking about? What's the one ingredient we need to live forever? Well, the one ingredient is, um... What? Urine. Oh, come on! Some of the greatest minds in history have tried to find the secret of the Philosopher's Stone. When the Book of Aquarius appeared on an online forum in 2011, the anonymous author encouraged everyone to spread it online for free. He wrote, The purpose of this book is to release one particular secret which has been kept hidden for the last 12,000 years. The Book of Aquarius contained easy-to-understand, step-by-step instructions for how to create the Philosopher's Stone, which, if created properly, would grant you eternal life. The author of the book said that all the old alchemy texts using confusing metaphors and symbolism was actually done intentionally. This was an early disinformation campaign, a way to keep the recipe secret, but still make it accessible to alchemists who knew how to decipher the text. And when the Book of Aquarius was posted to an online forum, it was ridiculed at first. There was no way you could achieve immortality with pee. 
But throughout history, alchemists actually used urine all the time. The 16th century Swiss alchemist Paracelsus claimed that life essence was in blood, in hair, sweat, and human waste. The Book of Aquarius says that the Philosopher's Stone is this life energy, concentrated and purified. This is the same energy you take in when you breathe, when you eat and drink. It's the energy that powers all forms of life, so it makes sense that it would be found in urine. Ancient alchemists knew this as well. Remember earlier I mentioned the secret society called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn? It had a lot of famous members. W.B. Yeats, Aleister Crowley, Arthur Conan Doyle, and a lot of other names that you'd recognize. Their name, Golden Dawn, is a reference to the only ingredient used to make the Philosopher's Stone. Golden as in the color, and dawn because that's the best time of day to get it. You had got to be me. Nope. But now with the Book of Aquarius hitting the web, all the secret symbolism and oaths of secrecy were useless. The Book of Aquarius gave specific step-by-step instructions on how to store, boil, distill, ferment, and purify urine. It would take months or even years, but eventually a stone would start to form. It was all in the book. How to do it, what the results should look like, what the process smells like. Nobody really tried to make this crazy thing, did they? They sure did. Shortly after the Book of Aquarius was published, the anonymous author set up a website at thebookofaquarius.com. There you could, of course, download a free copy of the book, but also participate in a forum where people would try to follow the instructions of the book as closely as possible and create their own Philosopher's Stone. And although the stone only required one ingredient... Dinkle. Right. The process for extracting your life energy required patience. Even if you did everything correctly, it would take between three and eight years to finish the work and make a stone. And that's assuming you kept your materials free from contamination, controlled the temperature, and used the correct equipment at the correct phase of production. A lot could go wrong. Yet a small but determined group of people were giving it their best shot. The recipe for creating the stone had two major parts. First, you had to repeatedly distill the urine and continually remove the densest particles. Next, you do it all again, but this time, remove the lightest particles, which would be a form of salt. This first part would ideally take three months, but could often take up to a year. In the second part of the recipe, you combine the salt with the distilled urine and put it on a low and continuous heat. You do that for over a year until it putrefies and turns black. In the next part of the recipe... Wait. What? Can you not call it a recipe, please? It makes it sound like you're supposed to eat it. Well... What? What? When you're done with the process, you do eat it. Ugh, I'm gonna be sick. What's your problem? You're swimming in half the recipe right now. It's not the same thing. I got bubbles. I got filters. Besides, I only tinkle in the back of the bowl. I don't think it matters. It matters. Anyway, you keep heating the black stuff and eventually it turns white. And then you turn up the heat a little bit more and the stone turns red. And then you're pretty much ready to go. The book even gives you some guidance on how much you should, um... I... I... I I can't. On the Book of Aquarius forums, a community of amateur alchemists emerged. Even the author of the book was an active member and would answer anyone who had a question. People were following the process, sharing tips and strategies. They would discuss how different foods affected their essence. They even posted pictures of their results. This went on for a few years, long enough for at least one person to succeed. Did somebody actually get this crazy thing to work? Well, nobody knows. Because suddenly and without warning, the Book of Aquarius website was gone. We covered a lot today. 
the Egyptian god Toth, Atlantis, the Emerald Tablet, Hermes Trismegustus, Apollonius of Tiana, the Book of Aquarius, and how they all connect to the Philosopher's Stone. But how much of the story is true? Well, a lot of it is. But let's look at the parts of the story that are questionable. First, the Emerald Tablet is indeed a text that's at least 1,200 years old. It is considered one of the most important documents in alchemy. Isaac Newton and many others were fascinated with it and spent large parts of their life trying to decode it. But the Emerald Tablets, plural, that's a different story. All the stuff about Atlantis comes from the book The Emerald Tablets of Toth the Atlantean by Dr. Maurice Doriel. And a lot of that information is part of Doriel's religion, the Brotherhood of the White Temple. The Brotherhood really does exist. It even has a lodge in Colorado. And Doriel has a lot of followers. You can find tons of articles and YouTube videos from people who believe that Doriel was chosen to deliver his message to the world. It is a bug coming. There is. Now look, maybe Doriel really did discover the tablets in Egypt and translate them. Maybe he really is helping people on their journey to the light of truth, as the Brotherhood claims. Hey, your tone is drifting into sarcasm territory. But before you join this cult religion, there are a few things you should know about Dr. Maurice Doriel. Dr. Doriel's real name was Claude Doggins, and he wasn't a doctor of anything. He never graduated high school, which is amazing because he claimed that he was able to read and write as soon as he was born and was doing advanced mathematics before the age of one. Yet no interest in getting a GED, eh? Yeah, I guess not. So no record of him receiving a doctorate. But there is record of him driving a cab. He drove a cab in Egypt? Oh, he never went to Egypt. Yeah, but... His passport verifies this. When he was confronted about the passport problem, Doriel, a.k.a. Doggins, said, well, they weren't physical travels, they were astral travels. Doggins wrote a lot about astral travels and other paranormal phenomena. He wrote about UFOs, alien attacks, the nuclear war that he predicted would happen in 1956. And he wrote about human-serpent hybrids living in the Gobi Desert. Lizard people! Yep. Hey, did you know you could buy a lizard people mug from the Wi-Fi store? Use promo code... No, no merch plugs now. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Force it, habit. Now, his followers will say all the things that Doriel wrote were true. The problem is... His stories were lifted from prominent science fiction writers. For example, Doriel's Emerald Tablets book has passages that match almost word for word passages from the Necronomicon by H.P. Lovecraft. Ooh, that was one of the campfire stories I would read at Camp Greenfoot. Camp Greenfoot? Oh yeah, I was a counselor there in the 80s. Kids love me. Lovecraft is kind of dark for kids, no? Uh, you know, I didn't think so at the time, but I'm not gonna lie. Some of those kids, they grew up pretty weird. Anyway, Doriel also lifted ideas from the Shaver Mysteries, which were popular in the sci-fi pulp magazine Amazing Stories. He even wrote into the magazine. And Doriel made all kinds of other wild claims, as most cult leaders do. But there are too many to list here. So he was a fraud? Well, I'm not saying that. But his wife did. What? At a public event, his wife called him out for lying and cheating in front of a whole group of disciples. Hell hath no fury, eh? Yeah. The quote-unquote cult leader divorce made newspaper headlines at the time. Now, even with all this information, Doriel still has plenty of believers. And the Brotherhood still sells all of his books on their website. So, the story of the original Emerald Tablet, that story is true. The actual tablet has never been found, but the text has been around for at least 1,200 years. That's confirmed. The Emerald Tablets by Doriel, well, you can make your own decision, but to me it sounds like yet another cult leader passing off science fiction as his own writing to take advantage of people for profit. Yeah, nice work if you can get it. Sure is. Look at S***. You censored me. Of course I did. Their lawyers watch this show, you moron. Fair enough. So what about the Book of Aquarius? 
That one also sounds like science fiction, but turns out it's real. Ever since the Book of Aquarius website was taken down, there's not much information about what happened to the people who were trying to create their own stones. One theory is that some people were actually successful, so either they had the site taken down or... The Illuminati. Right, some group of shadowy elites didn't want this information public, so they took down the website. And even though you can still download the book from the Internet Archives, you can't view the messages on the message board. Those have been scrubbed by somebody. Another theory is that the Book of Aquarius was a hoax. But if that's true, it's a hoax that took a lot of effort. The book is 165 pages, and the author goes into meticulous detail. And he quotes from 49 different alchemical texts, ranging from the 20th century all the way back to the 11th century. Many of these texts are pretty obscure and hard to find. And no one has ever come forward to take credit for writing it. The Book of Aquarius is probably not a hoax, but a book written by a passionate individual who honestly believes they're sharing the secret to creating a Philosopher's Stone. We tinkle? Yep. There's actually a well-documented case of an alchemist attempting to create the Philosopher's Stone from urine. In 1669, German alchemist Hennig Brandt dedicated years of his life to creating the stone. He was convinced urine was the way to do it, and he did everything that the Book of Aquarius says to do. Now, after boiling and distilling, 1,500 gallons of his essence, he ended up with a white, waxy substance that actually glowed in the dark. He made the stone? No, he accidentally discovered phosphorus. Now, to a 17th century alchemist, this must have been amazing. Here was a substance that was the product of the human body that was glowing with a life force. Now, Braun kept the recipe secret while he tried to create gold, but when he couldn't get that to work, he sold the recipe to another alchemist. As for living forever, well, it's been reported that Hennig Braun did die, but nobody knows exactly when. Now, of course, legend says that he faked his death and, like Nicholas Flamel, is still alive today. Now, that makes sense to me. If I created the Philosopher's Stone, I don't think I'd ever tell. Would you? Now, if you want to try creating it, the Book of Aquarius is still available online and linked below. But I don't recommend it. Boiling urine smells awful. But that's a small price to pay for immortality. Whoa, 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 wait. How do you know it smells awful? Uh, don't worry about that. Now, if you do decide to try and create the Philosopher's Stone, do me a favor. Email me in about 600 years, and we'll both have a good laugh. No! Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. My name is AJ, there's Hecklefish, and this has been The Y Files. If you had fun or learned anything, do us a favor and like, subscribe, comment, share. That stuff, really helpful. Oh, they learned some things today. I agree. I think you owed them an apology, actually. Oh, they're fine. Now, like most topics we cover on this channel, today's was recommended by you. And if there's a story that you'd like to see or learn more about, go to thewifiles.com slash tips. And special thanks to our patrons who make this channel possible. You guys are amazing. And if you'd like to support the channel and join this incredible community, consider becoming a member on Patreon, or join our Discord server, or grab something from the Wi-Files store. Oh yeah, you could grab yourself a Camp Greenfoot t-shirt right now. Already? That, that was fast. Hey, capitalism moves quick, Bally. <laughs> That's gonna do it. Until next time, be safe, be kind, and know that you are appreciated. I gotta take a leak.